Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So this Easter tide, we have been looking at God doing a new thing. Mm-hmm. And so we started in the book of Revelation with the ultimate promise, my favorite, <laughs> favoritest chapter in the Bible ever of, you know, God saying, I'm doing a new thing. There's no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Um, my home will now be among mortals, etc., etc. And we've been kind of then looking back through the Bible, seeing all of these different places that God has similarly said that God is doing a new thing and what that looks like. Um, So we have covered some things in the New Testament, and we are finally now moving into the Old Testament where God also promises to be doing a new thing. So this is one of those moments where I get to say. We're going to spend our time in the book of Isaiah in a couple of different places. And maybe my opening disclaimer I want to say is the Bible is a lot more like jazz than we usually give it credit for. And what I mean by that is that we tend to treat the Bible, maybe just generically to use a broad brushstroke, we American Christians tend to treat the Bible like a textbook where there's, give me the chapter where they talk about this and the one subject, and here's a one page I turn to, mm-hmm. and here's the answers here, and for a different subject it goes somewhere else. And it's a lot more like that you'll have themes that one writer will use, and then somebody later on will riff on that same, almost like a jazz musician will take a melody and then do something very different with it sometimes, Mm -hmm. or sometimes very faithful. Here, here's my rendition of Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, or here's my version of When the Saints Go Marching In, or whatever. And that a lot of the Bible is like that, riffing on themes intentionally, knowingly. Um, And that that's intentional, that the, the biblical writers, when they do it, aren't, copying like a plagiarist going, I hope nobody knows I'm borrowing from Isaiah or I'm cribbing from Hosea or I'm you know writing from Micah, but that this is intentional work. And so at the very, very end of the book that we call the collection of Isaiah's uh, prophecies, uh, there is this imagery that sounds an awful lot like what we heard at the end of uh, Revelation 25, or Revelation 21, where in Isaiah 65, verses 17 and following, the voice of God as the prophet gives it to us, says, For I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. And he goes on to describe a new Jerusalem. So this is exactly the same kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that John gave us in Revelation. And John, when we were talking about Revelation, was no dummy. He knew that he was that was intentional. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like he said, Hey, I came up with this brand new idea nobody's ever thought of before. Here, listen to my brand new idea. John, the guy who's writing Revelation, knows that he's on biblical themes and images, that's part of his point, to say that mm-hmm. God's finally doing what God had been hinting at and announcing and declaring far, far before. And by the end of this section in Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, there's a couple of places where themes are already getting recycled, because this passage in Isaiah 65 not only says new heavens and new earth, uh, also envisions this idea of the people will live and there won't be uh, early death, nobody will die young, and nobody will build and have somebody else live in their house and nobody will plant and have somebody else get their harvest. And then there's this image at the very, very end of the chapter where he says, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. Those are words that echo earlier in Isaiah. (laughs) So um, there's this idea, not just of like, well, where's the one verse where it says this? But there's a whole lot of, 
this theme got developed here and like uh, a musician might take a theme and then it comes back later and here's the counterpoint and then it comes mm-hmm. back to the next movement that something like that is going on here within the book of Isaiah and then in the whole of the scriptures where you've got other biblical writers riffing on melodies so to speak mm-hmm. um, and that, that I think that changes even my appreciation of how the Bible works too mm-hmm. I can't treat it like a textbook anymore where it's give me the one chapter or the one page or the one verse where they talk about X or Y but instead watch how this theme gets developed throughout the whole of the scriptures and I think that makes a difference even just how I hear these words from Isaiah and I appreciate that this is found in Isaiah as well as Revelation Mm because as I have gone on the record to say before (laughs) Revelation 21 all time favorite chapter (laughs) but that it's you know you hear it a lot of um, people have this disconnect between the God of the New Testament Mm -hmm. and the God of the Old Testament and it's mm-hmm. sometimes really hard to convince them that, no, there is grace and forgiveness and love in the Old Testament, just as there's judgment and harsh punishment in the New Testament. Um, that's sometimes really hard to convey. But here we are in Isaiah, and we are hearing the same things. God is promising the same things, promising the hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also found in the Old Testament. Because it also, you know, says in verse 19, no more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. You know, there are still those themes of, I will wipe away every tear, I will, mm-hmm. there'll be no more pain, no more death. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all here as well. It just is being phrased slightly different, because, you know, John, it's not like John just plucked up the entire... Right. Ver, like chapter and plucked it down in mm-hmm. Revelation. It's just right. He's retelling the story, right? And holding on to that hope, which is also a way of saying it didn't. The, the, the nobody thinks that the promise came true, or um, that that what Isaiah is talking about was fulfilled in some strictly uh, political terms in Isaiah's life. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. the prophets will talk about what's going on in their world politically. And there'll be, you know, a ruler's going to come, oh, and it's the next king of, of Israel, or a ruler's going to come, and it's, you know, uh, the king of Babylon. And sometimes these are like, the, the prophets will talk about events that happened mm-hmm. in their lifetime, and they'd be like, hey, I'm not talking about the distant future, guys. I'm talking about the invading Assyrian army or whatever. But the fact that here's this vision of a new creation, and that John, when he gets right in Revelation, says, and I mean, we're still waiting for this new creation, is a reminder that it's not about any particular political regime or empire that's the hope of that. Uh, that it's not, oh, when we're waiting for the new creation, well, finally what we're waiting for is the Roman Empire to come along and that'll fix it. Nope, it's not It's not about one empire or another, but God making a whole new kind of creation. Is it, it teaches us to make that hope bigger than just um, the news of the day or... Mm-hmm. or um, uh, some uh, the next new king will fix everything. No, the, the the hopes that the scriptures talk about are always bigger than just what we need is a new empire to replace the old empire. And the hope that we hear, in, especially in Isaiah, because this is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, is you know what confirms then later for us in the New Testament who exactly Jesus is, mm-hmm. and and everything that Jesus promises us, we can confirm that it will happen or. Either if it doesn't happen while he's here on earth, it will happen because again, it's something that we can hearken back to with Isaiah and the other prophets, and, and God has been promising this throughout all eternity. But if we didn't have these Old Testament prophets, if we didn't have the Old Testament in general, we would have no idea who Jesus was and is, and all the promises that He's given to us. We'd have no idea that He's the one that we need to follow mm-hmm. as our Messiah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think it, it maybe is worth uplifting too, for a moment at least. Even though we hear these words from Isaiah and automatically put them in the lens of, oh, it's like Revelation twenty-one, or you know, it, it, we, we hear it through a particular lens of mm-hmm. thousands of years later after these words were spoken. As these words would have been first offered to God's people, they happen in the shadow of exile. That mm-hmm. like there's this reality of like their world coming into an end when the mm-hmm. the nation of uh, Judah got conquered by the Babylonians and the people held on to promises like this, like Babylon isn't going to last forever and exile mm-hmm. isn't going to last forever. And even though it felt like their world came unglued because everything they thought was solid got destroyed, and I think that's a part of why this image of new creation becomes so important for um, for pro- prophets like Isaiah because you know. Uh, Prior to the exile, the, the 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 basics of Israelite religion was everything's fine as long as our city and our temple are standing, and we'll yeah. always win because we've got our our temple where our God lives, and He will never let us be defeated. And then when the exile comes, and not only does the temple get destroyed and their city get destroyed, and they get carried away into exile, it begs the question: well, Where is God in all of this? Mm-hmm. And it took prophets to say God went with us in exile and that this isn't the end of things, that God's going to make something new. And what amazes me, what I think is so, so powerful and radical is that the prophets like Isaiah 65 here don't say God's going to make it like it was in the glory days. It's a new vision that God doesn't say, you know what we need to do? We need to get back to Jerusalem and make it exactly like it was and we'll just pretend we'll just reset the clock and make it all like it used to be. I think in so many ways that's the idol that we are constantly falling in love with. I mean, even to this day, we are so good at making an idol out of whatever our picture of the glory days was. And if only we can get to the greatness of those days, that's what we need. How can we get it to be like that again? And the prophet doesn't do that. He doesn't say, wait till you see, I'm going to make it exactly the same paint, same wallpaper, same carpet. No, I'm making a new creation. Um, and that that taught the people not to look backward Mm -hmm. to how do we reduplicate what we had, but to be okay with God doing something new. Because the new, when they finally did build a new temple, it, for a long time, it was just it was a mere shadow of how glorious it had been. It was mm-hmm. you know a, a pretty pretty rudimentary building, a rectangle for a while until Herod the Great comes along with his big renovation project. Um, but that was possible for the people to bear because they weren't just looking backward. How can we make mm-hmm. it like it used to be? It reminds me of our conversation from the previous episode. Okay. And we're, how we're talking about, you know, our life now and our spiritual life, mm-hmm. our spiritual bodies then. And it's kind of that, that for me, the, the way you're describing that, Stephen, it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have you have Israel at the time of Isaiah, or at least, you know, Judah at the time of Isaiah. And the Judah that comes back from exile is not the same. Yeah. I mean, the people aren't the same. Literally, I mean, it's a whole another generation of right. people that come back. You've lost a good majority of the people of Israel in general. There's the ten lost tribes. Mm-hmm. And yet Israel's still a nation. Israel is still a people. They are still God's people. Mm-hmm. But it looks very, very different than what it did um, before the exile. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so to, to look for that new hope and realize that that new hope is coming, even though it's going to look very different, I think is something that we need to keep in mind. And, and as you said, we, we as Christians today, we really need to hold on to that because I'm I hear too many people looking back to the glory days when right. the church was full and when everybody was here and everybody, you know, you didn't have sports taken over Sunday mornings and all right. that. I'm like, okay, that that was then. This is now. This is our new right. reality. How do we live into that? I, right. I kind of wonder if it isn't possibly a blessing for Israel that when they return, they are a new generation. Yeah. They don't mm-hmm. remember the glory days. Like personally, <clears throat> they just heard stories. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly. 
I, I'm a fairly young pastor, I'll admit it, um, but the glory days that my congregations remember and mourn over, those days happened before I was born. Me too. So when they say things like, oh, I miss the glory days, I wish it was like whatever mm -hmm. year they mention, you know, to me, that's like, well, we can't go back to that. For one thing, I don't know what that exactly looked like because I wasn't there. <laughs> and so at least for me, that longing for the glory days is less. Like, mm -hmm. I won't say that it's not still there because it is. Mm -hmm. You know, when people describe to me, oh, the sanctuary used to be full every Sunday, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I bet that was fantastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I don't, I wasn't there. I don't remember yeah. it. I don't remember full churches. I don't remember you know, those things. So it's easier in a lot of ways to not want to return to that when you didn't ever experience it. And what I think we have to keep in mind is that the ultimate glory day is ahead of us. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we get so stuck looking into the past that we forget that the ultimate glory, you know, the, the resurrection, the new creation, all these things that we've been talking about throughout the series are all ahead of us. And as great as those glory days might have been, mm -hmm. of the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever decade it was, they're going to pale in comparison to the glory that's ahead of us. And maybe that's something that, at least myself as a pastor, um, I'll, I'll speak for me, you know, that's something I need to keep reiterating to my people that, okay, the glory days of, of the past are gone. But nothing compares to the glory that is to come. So let's work for that glory that is to come. Let's mm -hmm. work to make sure people know about that and can experience that someday when the resurrection comes about. It reminds me of, there's a moment in, uh, I won't be able to find the exact passage here, but it comes in the uh, book of Ezra when the people come back from exile and do eventually rebuild up the city and rebuild the temple. Mm -hmm. And there's this scene, it's this, it's this bittersweet scene where they dedicate the new temple. And there's this passing line about there was a handful of people who remembered the old building. Mm -hmm. And it says that the people rejoiced and wept so that at a distance you could hear the noise, but you didn't know whether you were hearing weeping or, or rejoicing, because it was sort of bittersweet, that there was this people who could remember what it had mm -hmm. been, mm -hmm. but not a lot of them. And as you say, most of the people came back from the exile, were born in exile, and hadn't known any different. And there was a handful of people who had that memory of what it had been and what it was, and they could at least say, yeah, that it was different. But there, there's always that bittersweetness. And so, okay, the Bible gives acknowledgement. Sometimes there are moments like mm -hmm. that. And yet the, the sweep of the whole book of the, the scriptures, the whole story is not to be constantly, how do we go back to some moment in the past that we can't preserve, but it's always a forward orientation. And in a way, that's, that's kind of like why we've structured this series the way we have, that we start with the end, keep that in mind, the promises where, where things are headed. And that changes the way we hear everything else. And so much of church life really can be, tempt can be tempted to look backward into some glory days mm -hmm. in the past. And we can imagine that that's the key to success in life, is how do we make it like it used to be instead of going, there's some stuff we can't get back. And whatever is going on in this present moment, there are going to be some things that are good about this present mm -hmm. moment as well as some things that are different about this present moment and to play to the strengths of them, I guess. Can I ask, since today we're going to spend some time in different parts of, of uh, the book of Isaiah, whether could we take a jump to Isaiah 25, um, which is another one of those images 
uh, that the, the prophet gives us that is new creation kind of talk in Isaiah 25, uh, verses 6 through 9. And in a lot of ways, this draws on the imagery, that feast imagery that Sarah was talking about in the previous episode. So the, the prophet says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all people, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So I'm putting this on the list of Passages that are one of my favorites from uh, all of the scriptures and especially from moments of burial and funerals because I love this Mm -hmm. image of being gathered together with a a party. Um, And the other thing I think is radical about it is who's invited. That here in the midst of um, the heart of Israel's story in the Old Testament when there were voices that said, nope, it's just for us ethnic Israelites, that here God says all nations are invited to this party. You have to imagine that ruffled some feathers when these words were first spoken. I mean, like you had to imagine there were people like, no, 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 you just mean like good faithful Israelites like us, right Isaiah? And he says all nations. I mean, this is, this is something that's a radical move that Isaiah starts to, to scratch at that itch. There's a number of places in Isaiah's book where he envisions this is something big that's mm-hmm. going to include not just ethnic Israel, not just Judeans, um, but will include nations all over the world. And that these are the people who are invited to God's party. That's a pretty big deal. It is. I think, though, by just where it is in Isaiah... Wait, no, this is Isaiah 25. That this Was this part spoken after they had been in exile for a while? I, I, it's it's hard to date for sure. Usually, people make a break in by, by like forty and following. You get the sense of exile happening, but and mm-hmm. this may be mm-hmm. prior to that happening. Okay, because if I, if it had come later, if mm-hmm. it had been definitely something that is spoken after you know the the people are starting to return from exile, right. that it would be a, a word of hope of the friends and people that you knew in exile. Mm-hmm who you interact with on a daily basis that mm-hmm, you might mm-hmm. not, that you were on good terms with, friends with, might even married into their families. That That is such a word of hope that, hey, during this like really awesome mm-hmm. feast that God is going to be throwing, we're all here together. Mm-hmm. It's not just, hey, you're going home, you're leaving exile, and that means we're never going to see each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure about this, but... Uh, my guess is that even if this does predate the the moment in Isaiah's story or timeline where the exile is clearly the reality, early, early on in Isaiah, uh, in his book, you get this image of God doing something that includes all nations. So that like in Isaiah 2, you get the image of all nations being drawn to learn from God so that they start beating their swords in the plowshares. That imagery comes like Isaiah chapter 2. Um, so that it seems like from the beginning, Isaiah is hitting the drum pretty loud of God isn't just interested in us, in our nationality. God is looking to draw all people. And again, you have to figure that was pretty scandalous to some voices who were like, no, 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 it's only, it's only, it's only, only people like us. And here's God saying, not only are other people going to be coming, God welcoming them. God is doing that to bring them so that they won't learn war anymore and they'll learn to walk in the ways of God now and we won't kill each other and we won't hate each other anymore but that's part of the vision and Isaiah beats that drum from the beginning all the way through um 
the other thing I think is so cool about this image, and I know we've talked a little bit about the God wiping away tears from uh, when it comes up in Revelation. So here's yeah. one more moment where that that melody gets borrowed again in mm-hmm. Revelation. But like the whole notion of if you are the center of attention at the party, if it's my birthday party and I'm the center of attention, you've all brought cake and presents for me. Um, I'm not likely to be paying attention if you all are having a good time. I'm like, because I'm a selfish jerk. I, I, but here's God, who's the host and center of the party, who even though God is the life of the party in the center, God's looking out and seeing, is there anybody who's left who feels left out? Is there anybody mm-hmm. in the corners who's still mm-hmm. sad about anything? And that God wipes away tears. That's an intimate image. Mm-hmm. And the image that God, that it's somehow safe. I mean, I don't let a stranger touch my face to wipe tears away. <laughs> the, the, the number of people who are allowed to wipe tears from my face is very, very short list. And... That this isn't something that, that Isaiah suggests is awkward or uncomfortable, but it's like the most natural thing in the world. That, yep, God's the one who wipes those tears away. That even for people who are strangers to this God, that somehow all of a sudden this is okay, that this is safe, and that it's okay that God wipes away these tears. That's a really powerful image to me um, and suggests that, that the, the depth of God's love, even though God's the center of attention, that God doesn't get too busy at the party to pay attention to us as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could spend a little bit of time, too, while we're in Isaiah, and since today is sort of a day to look at where this theme shows up in Isaiah, a little bit in Isaiah 11, which is sometimes called mm-hmm. the Peaceable Kingdom chapter. Um, yeah, well, This is one of my favorite chapters. Yeah, well, right, well, well give, a, give us the verses you want us to hear. Um, oh, gosh, there's so much in this chapter, though. Um, but it's really, it, starting again in chapter, in, in verse 6. Because um, this is where really where we get the peaceful kingdom idea from. Uh, Isaiah writes that the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox, the infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest, and they will, they will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, this scene is just, it's, it's so beautiful for me. The mm-hmm. enemies coming together. Yeah. And just being so at peace with one another. Mm-hmm. And we often say, you know, the lion and the lamb. We we mis- mix that up a little bit. It's the wolf and the lamb right. here. But still, it's, it's the same idea. It's the same concept where you have these arch enemies coming together and just being able to, to live in peace with one another. And the beauty of it just gets to me. I, I love it. Um, and, of course, the little child will lead them. You know, that always takes me to the Christmas story. And Yeah, we can't help but go, oh, it's Jesus. It's a, it's a pre-Christmas Jesus moment. <laughs> right? Um, so that's that's just what really draws me. It's just the, the idea of someday mm-hmm. in, in a world that's so full of hatred and, and evil and and violence to know that someday even the animals that mm-hmm. are natural predators and prey will come t- to lie down together. Are you having a Zootopia moment? I am. <laughs> yes! I am. I These right. verses always just remind me of Disney Zootopia and this city where the prey and the predators oddly live together and it's not perfect but, you know, the prey no longer eat the predators and that's Wait, no, that's opposite. Nobody eats anybody. <laughs> Nobody, Nobody eats anybody. anybody. <laughs> but, but yes, I was definitely thinking of Disney Zootopia. Um, <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous movie. Um, I don't have kids to watch. <laughs> the, the thing I've, I think is really, really radical about this image from, from Isaiah 11 is that 
Isaiah doesn't solve the problem by saying, well, we'll just get rid of all those no-good wolves. We'll kill them all, and it'll be nothing mm, but lambs, and yeah. we'll be fine. But that somehow the otherness is, is preserved. And like Again, this, this image, I think, is important, because we, we even talked when we talked about Revelation 21, that here's this gathering of all different nations together, and it's not that God says, I'll solve the problem of otherness. We'll make you all homogenous. You'll all be plain vanilla. You'll all be plain white bread. Problem solved. No spicy salami. or No, it, no. But instead, there's this differences there, and that it's okay. Mm-hmm. That somehow the animosity is what's taken away, and that our need to kill each other is what's taken away. But the difference is held on to, as though the difference wasn't a mistake in the first place. It's the the enmity, it's the hostility, it's the violence. And it's not just that that God doesn't make us all plain vanilla. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that. Okay, all the wolves are going to live over here. All the right. lambs are going to live over here, and we're going to segregate everyone right, too. Right. Right. Again, we're all living together, mm-hmm. and God takes away that animosity that, that's between them, which is really what causes all the war and the you know not so much right. against animals because that's just nature, but you know for us as humans, yeah, we're going to be living together as we've mentioned in previous episodes. You know, regardless of, of race, gender, creed, you know, all these things. God doesn't make us the same, and he doesn't separate us and say, oh, well, all of you from, you know, North America, you're going to live over here. All the Europeans are going to live over here. Right, right, But we're all going to live together and find a way to live in harmony with one another. It seems important to me. I mean, it's it's tempting to treat any of these passages about a future and say, well, that's the future, but now just life is a dog-eat-dog world right now. But it seems to me that that part of the Christian hope is to say, if if you know how the story ends, that we live differently in light of that. And that Mm -hmm. even though we live in a world that isn't on board with this, yes, and and even though the world in which we live is still convinced that wolves should rightly eat lambs and that it's Mm -hmm. uh, whoever's strongest is right and might makes right and the goal is to get to the top of the king of the hill and push everybody else down, that if, if we're people who are captivated by... By this vision, that this will shape how we live now. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that we will always be able to avoid uh, uh, situations of violence or difficulty, or, or but that, like this is the vision that captivates us, and the idea that eventually my well-being is caught up in everybody else's well-being. That's an important idea that, that I don't get to just hope for, well, who cares about anybody else being safe? I need to just make sure that me and mine are safe. And that the vision we get from the scriptures is in the end, God makes a creation where my well-being and safety is, is entangled with everybody else's in a good way and can't be separated. The well-being of the wolves is tied up with the well-being of the lambs and the leopards and the kids and all of them. This is something new that's shalom for all of them. Well, as unnatural as the new created order will seem to us from what mm-hmm. we know here and now, if we are able to, to the best of our ability, we're not going to do it perfectly, we're not going to do it all the time, and, and the world's going to invade and it's going to cause us not to be able to do this, but as much as we can live into that now, mm-hmm. how much more natural then will it become right, right, right. when we live in that new creation? Right. And I think, in a, in a way, I think that's not a bad description of what the... the the goal of being church is to be this kind of community that, that won't always get it right, but that dares to live now in anticipation mm-hmm. of that new creation. So it's not just that we're people who hand out Bibles, but people who live like the vision that the Bible promises, mm-hmm. too. So it's not just, um, here's your Bible, see you in heaven, I'm going to go be a selfish jerk now. <laughs> but that we're people who dare to live and believe it's possible for enemies to be reconciled, uh, and mm-hmm. believe that it's possible for there to be new beginnings, and who, who believe that it's possible even for us to lay down our our arms and to be at peace with one another. I think that's a pretty important idea and that that's, yeah. as we're discovering, not just, oh, oh, it happens once in the Bible, 
But, like, this is a recurring theme that God's been saying for centuries, thousands of years even, and that we sometimes relegate to, oh, no, that just happens at the end of the story. In the meantime, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way uh, this, this passage uh, envisions it. It's, no, this is, this is the hope that will sustain us now. I mean, and this is hope that we see before even Jesus comes onto the scene. I mm-hmm. mean, remind me, how, how many centuries before Jesus is Isaiah? Let's roughly say six and a half centuries. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, that's... That's 650 years before Jesus mm-hmm. even comes on the scene. Because, again, as you mentioned earlier, Sarah, we, sometimes we want to pit the God of the Old Testament versus the God mm-hmm. of the New Testament. Uh-huh. But here we're seeing the God of the New Testament in the Old. Right. You know, at least the way that some people think right, of it. Right, right, right. Uh-huh. You know, that hope and that peace is, is coming through even in the midst of war and later in the book, Exile. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... Are there other passages here in this book, in the book of Isaiah, that you wanted to spend time on or that you wanted to touch on this theme? Well, the only one that I could think of, we very briefly have already touched on, which is Isaiah 2. Okay. Where they turn their swords into plowshares. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, there is that um, piece of we we no longer need swords. Yeah. We need plows so that we can, you know, plant food, which is nourishment. Right. Um, but we have already kind of briefly yeah. touched on that. I think the idea that that maybe is worth holding on to is that this is this is. How, the, how, how God through the prophet is telling them what to hope for. You know, mm-hmm. that like God's saying, in the end, the hope isn't just we win against our enemies and we kill them. The idea is, in the end, the hope is we won't need to kill anybody anymore and nobody will need to kill us anymore. We'll be done with killing. Um, that changes the direction of our hope. Because I think sometimes yeah. we treat hope like it's, I hope our side wins. I hope, and like, anytime I watch a movie with my kids these days, they're like, is that a good guy or a bad guy? Like, they're instantly programmed from watching mm-hmm. an FTV. Who are the good guys and who's the bad? Who are the people that we want to win and who are the ones who want, we want to get destroyed. And some stories are like that. But here's Isaiah saying, this isn't about, in the end, we'll, we'll know that we've won and the bad, we'll beat the, the other team, or that our mm-hmm. safety comes at the price of other people's. But it's a new kind of order. Yeah, uh, that, that, that reminds me of the beginning of World War II. Yeah. Where, you know, the generation who fought in the First World War, they fully were now living into this whole swords into plowshares. Like, mm-hmm. they were glad for the peace. The war that, to end all wars, has been fought, it's been won, um, you know, in the case of the Allies, and we can now be peaceful. And here this new world war is starting, and the new generation of young men are very excited because here's their chance to fight this, fight in a war, and, <laughs> you know, have that honor and glory that their fathers and older brothers got and so they went into it with like yeah we get to bash some heads together and I'm sure the grief that that must have caused the veterans of World War One. right you're like no this isn't this isn't something to cheer about this is a right. terrible thing yeah yeah and you know so Isaiah 2 being very much the hope that you should be having yeah. is not that there is a war to prove yourself right. and to prove your manliness with, but that the wars end yeah. and that you don't have a need for swords, right. but you do have a need for plows because that, you know, farming the land and bringing forth the nourishment for your people, that is something to strive for and to hope for. And 
It suggests to me, too, that old line that I have heard attributed to Dr. King that says that real peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. And that mm-hmm. the idea isn't just like an enforced peace like the Roman Empire would made, which is like, we've outgunned you, we squashed the rebellion, we, we make peace because our, you know, at the end of our swords, you, you know, rebel at your own uh, risk. But that the idea is that in this new creation, when, when uh, on the day that comes that it's finally safe for us to beat swords into plowshares and that lions and wolves and lambs can all lie down... It's it's not like uh, the lions create peace by saying if you step out of line, lambs are going to eat you. But that everybody everybody's safe, everybody's okay. That there's justice uh-huh. there, and that that's part of the vision too of of things being put right. It, it, it to me says an important reminder about the the way we translate the Hebrew concept of shalom, which often gets just sort of flatly translated peace as sort of the absence of conflict. Mm-hmm. And shalom is a lot fuller. It's closer to like wholeness or completion or sort of everything hanging together the way it's supposed to. And I think that, that idea is important, that what Isaiah is holding up is not just there will come a time when we stop killing people with our weapons, but uh, we have to keep pointing our weapons at them to make mm-hmm. them afraid. Um, but no, there, are gonna, there will come a point where there's wholeness, where everything holds together the way it's supposed to. And we won't need the weapons anymore. Yeah. This suggests to me, too, that Isaiah can dare to imagine a day when weapons are not needed as a deterrent to ensure peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, any time in my life people have talked about peace, it's always been, you need to have the weapons in order to guarantee mm-hmm. peace. I mean, I, growing up at the end of the Cold War, the the backdrop in the back of my head was the way we're going to win the Cold War is we'll have more ballistic missiles than the Soviets will and if we have enough ballistic missiles that will keep them from it was, you know, the, mm-hmm. the idea of mutual assured destruction and that that's how world peace will be guaranteed we'll each threaten each other enough with weapons that that'll make us not do mm-hmm. something crazy like killing each other and the number of times we came awfully close to nuclear <laughs> war like um, uh, like the Cuban Missile Crisis or, or other moments um, says that's a really precarious mm-hmm. way to, to live your life or order your world and what seems really important to me is that when Isaiah talks about that kind of shalom, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, in the end, the way God makes peace is we all get swords and say, be careful, don't kill me or I'll kill you. But one day we'll be done with swords and weapons altogether. And if that's the hope we have now, then we'll live like that now. I like at the very end of that Isaiah 2, um, the end of verse 4, Yeah, it's not just talking about how they're, they're going to take their swords and, and uh, pound them into plowshares and all that, which is good and wonderful. But it says, nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war yeah. Yeah. anymore. Because, yeah. I mean, you can, you know, pound your, pl- your your swords into plowshares, but if you can do that, then you can just as easily pound them back right, into swords. Right, 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 right. But he's saying, you know, there will come a day where right. you won't even train for war. You won't even pretend to use your plowshares right. As a tool in right, war. Right. And th- I think that's an important word because sometimes I'll hear people say things like that they're afraid of the idea of their, of not having weapons. Like, no, the way I know I'm safe is I have to have my weapon and without that weapon I can't be safe. But uh, And there's, there's this fear of the idea. Could any, I'm so afraid of anybody taking my weapons away. And here's Isaiah saying, that's the hope we should be aiming for, folks. That's, that's the, the big picture dream is not only that... We're not killing each other, but we don't need them, and we won't teach each other that that's the, the path to peace anymore. Mm-hmm. That at some point, we'll say the whole idea of mutual assured destruction, whether on the giant global scale mm-hmm. or the both me and you point guns at each other sort of way. Maybe there's a point where we can say, if you'll walk away, I'll walk away. We don't have to. We don't have to kill each other at all here. Mm-hmm. And that that's the vision Isaiah is, is holding on to. And again, it seems unnatural to us because so much of the way the world works and so much of the the wisdom of the world is nope. It's a dog eat dog world. You got to have your way to kill the other guy before they kill you that's what that's how nature is 
and that part of the hope of the new creation is a new kind of new kind of order that looks unnatural to us. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think we may have spent a lot of time in Isaiah today, but there's, this theme keeps showing up. Uh, we'll we'll get to have one more conversation together in this new creation uh, episode uh, or series next time, and we'll catch up with you then. Okay. See you guys. Bye.